Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we're talking about stereotypes in government acquisition. Join us in the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn and post your thoughts about stereotypes in the acquisition world. Okay, let's get this episode started. Even Dilbert understands the stereotype of the contracting officer or purchasing manager. I was reading the Dilbert comic in the paper this week. You actually get the the physical paper still? (laughs) Yes, actually a paper. It turns out it costs less to get the physical newspaper on Sunday and the digital subscription than it does to just get the digital subscription. So every week I get one chunk of dead tree thrown on my driveway for me to quickly peruse and then recycle. But you get to read Dilbert while you're perusing. I did this week. Stay focused, Kevin. We haven't even gotten started yet. (laughs) Okay, sorry. This week, the Dilbert joke was about purchasing managers. Dilbert needs to buy something, takes his request to the purchasing manager, who tells Dilbert, I can't buy this without three vendor quotes. Dilbert points out that there's only two companies in the world that make the kind of product he needs, but the purchasing manager won't bend the rules because if you bend the rules for one person, then it opens the floodgates and everybody wants you to bend the rules. Dilbert suggests that maybe the rules could be bent when it makes complete sense to bend them and the purchasing manager isn't going for it. So Dilbert asks if maybe the purchasing manager was bullied as a child and uses his current job to get revenge. The punchline is, the purchasing manager says, now you need four quotes. He uses his position of authority in this case to make it even harder to get something done. That's the stereotype. Exactly. Now I'm mad and you have to do even more bureaucratic things because that's the power I have. Does this sound familiar? Even painfully familiar? And, and that's what drives the stereotype. Even Dilbert gets the stereotype of the procurement manager. Before we dive into that, let's stop and say thanks. This week, I'd like to thank Betsy Vanderlei for picking up our podcast and sharing it with her colleagues at DRMP. DRMP is a civil engineering and surveying firm. They're headquartered in Orlando, Florida. I want to thank Betsy for recommending that the rest of her colleagues start listening to our podcast because people like Betsy recommending the podcast is the best way for others to find this information we're giving away for free. Thanks, Betsy. Back to stereotypes. Why the stereotype? Or before we even get to why... What is a stereotype? Back in the Wayback Machine here, turns out that the term stereotype, it's a printing trade term that's from the 1700s, I kid you not. It refers to the duplicate printing plate or the stereotype that is used when printing a copy instead of an original. So it's probably the same thing that's used in that newspaper that you recycle every Sunday morning. I guess it wasn't until the 20s, 1920s, that the term stereotype was used in the concept that we're talking about it today by a guy named Walter Lippmann. The official definition now is a stereotype is an overgeneralized belief about a particular category of people. In other words, making an assumption about a person based on what we think we know about them. Because they're like other people in some way, so everything about them has to be alike. There you go. There's a reason stereotypes exist, and we won't get into all of the social psychology about stereotypes. Today, we're talking about the stereotype of contracting officers, contracts administrators, contracts managers, subcontracts managers, 
subcontracts, administrators, purchasing managers, purchasing agents, whatever you want to call the job of buying things and managing the resulting contracts. That Dilbert comic we started with pretty much nails the stereotype of the professions that we're talking about. The stereotype of these positions is that you're 99.9% process, that you don't care about the variability, you assume there is none, and it's just a matter of where do I copy and paste to get this done and get you out of my office. That's the stereotype. The rules say we need three quotes for everything, so we need three quotes for everything, even if there's only two companies in the world (laughs) that make this thing. Even if it's an impossibility, that's what the rules say. The reality is, as we always say here on the podcast... The contracts profession and the similar professions that we're lumping in here today, these professions are, are, are thinking jobs. It really can be a fascinating exercise in problem solving. How do I get this done despite the mountains of regulations and policies that are levied on me? The goal of all this thinking in a thinking job has a couple of elements. What is the path of least resistance? How do I get this done within that mountain of regulations? How do I get it done to serve my customer? Then what is the legal or required path? Is there a path I have to go down, i.e. get three quotes? The question then becomes, and this is again a thinking part, where do those two paths overlap? The path of least resistance and what's legally required. They're two different paths and they lead in two different directions sometimes. And unfortunately, it's easier and faster to just take one of those paths, either the path of least resistance or the path of total compliance, because it takes thinking to figure out where they cross. Either one of them alone can lead to a bad result. Yeah, we all have days where it's hard to find the energy to do the hard stuff, to do the thinking. So we may be tempted to just take the one path. The compliance path is the stereotype. And that means a lot of people out there think that the contract, subcontracts, purchasing profession is used by people as a way to get revenge. And, and Dilbert jokes aside, people feel bullied at work all the time. It could have been they were bullied in the last negotiation. It could have been somebody's pounding their desk saying, you have to get this done because it's more important than you. It could have been a lack of respect for the profession or that for, for how long it takes to get something through the procurement wickets in an organization. I mean, that can be its own art form. So yeah, Dilbert jokes aside, there is that mindset sometimes of, you know, I can make this hard for you. And that's not a healthy place to be. Compliance is important, but it has to be thought of as compliance in support of the mission. Whether you're on the government side or the industry side, if you're working federal contracts, you are, by definition, doing something for the good of the country. And that's as defined by our current leaders, because what is good can change over time. But hopefully, if you're working in the federal world, you believe you're doing it for the good of the country. And if you don't, we got to ask why you're doing it. (laughs) I'll be blunt. So compliance, good. But getting the compliance right and failing the mission is failure. Now, getting the mission done without any compliance to the rules and regulations is probably illegal. So that's not good either. (laughs) The two extremes. I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to know the rules. You have to learn the rules so that you can leverage them for good and not for revenge in, in air quotes, in Dilbert quotes here. Leverage them for good to support the mission. 
I really get frustrated when the whole profession is stereotyped. But stereotypes exist for a reason, and I have run into people over the course of my career that perpetuate that stereotype. Stereotypes have a foundational source. You're right. And I've seen a percentage, we'll leave it at that, of people that they, they I can totally see somebody saying, you got to give me four quotes now. I've seen that before. However, the majority are on the other extreme where they're in this box of, I need to be able to make sure this is legal. Let's figure out how to get it done within the compliance box I have, which is why the communication piece is so important. We have to understand how to navigate that, like you said, despite the mountain of regulations and rules. We'll get back to the communication thing in a second. First, let's stop for FAR time. FAR 1.602-2 is responsibilities, contracting officers' responsibilities. This is the compliance thing. Contracting officers are responsible for ensuring performance of all necessary actions for effective contracting, ensuring compliance with the terms of the contract, and safeguarding the interests of the United States in its contractual relationships. It goes on to say, in order to perform these responsibilities, contracting officers should be allowed wide latitude to exercise business judgment. For some reason, I think that part gets lost when we're talking about compliance, is latitude to exercise business judgment. And we talked about this in the What is a Contracting Officer episode way back in episode seven. That's, this is kind of a foundational idea. Back to more FAR stuff about the wide latitude. FAR 7.105 describes the written acquisition plan. 7.105b2, competition, subparagraph I, is describe how competition will be sought, promoted, and sustained throughout the course of the acquisition. This subsection of the FAR is listing out the written acquisition plan elements. This is one of them. It does not say, get three quotes. It says, describe how you're going to compete this work. So at the top level, the FAR doesn't give you any explicit instructions. It says, describe how you're going to compete. As this flows down through policy to procedure, procedure often becomes, you must get three quotes. On the industry side, large companies have to have an approved purchasing system in order to acquire things for use on government contracts. To have an approved purchasing system, you have to follow all kinds of rules that are derived from the government's acquisition rules. So this is sort of like that telephone game where the FAR starts out saying, describe how you do this. By the time it gets down to companies, they want a set of instructions that they can tell the government, we have these instructions and we follow them. And those instructions, the procedures, often say things like, Get three quotes. quotes. And that becomes... A Dilbert cartoon. That becomes a Dilbert cartoon. <laughs> so we start out well-meaning with the FAR saying, describe how competition will be sought. And you have to maintain competition. And it gets down to something that isn't competition for the sake of all the goodness that competition brings, but competition because the rule says get three quotes, which in my experience may not have anything to do with the competition. They're just quotes. Yeah, that, that's a whole different it may problem. Not, yeah, it may not help what you're trying to do. That's a different problem. Another part of the written acquisition plan is subparagraph B3, and it's contract type selection. Same thing. It doesn't say use fixed price in this scenario, use cost plus in this scenario. It says discuss the rationale for the selection of contract type. The contracting officer shall ensure that requirements and technical personnel provide the necessary documentation to support the contract type selection. In other words, you're going to get input from people and then you're going to decide and then discuss the rationale for that decision. 
This acquisition plan is a thinking process. That's where there are 22 parts in this subparagraph 7.105B. And they're the basis for the RFP score that we have for our clients because it helps them understand what is the government thinking. The RFP score lets offerers think through thinking job and acquisition from the government's point of view. So they can determine how competitive am I for this? Because if I understand what they have to worry about, then I can understand what I should be worrying about as I try to win this contract. There's your Skyway plug for the day. There you go. <laughs> you, know, you only get one. Only get one. <laughs> Let me reset what we're saying here. Acquisition and contracting requires thinking. There's a great big rule book. There's actually multiple rule books. <laughs> with sub layers and sub paragraphs galore. Right. And they're filled with some hard and fast rules. But mostly there's lots of room to interpret the bigger picture statements like ensure there's competition, like we just talked about. The reason I'm focusing on the thinking part is that automation is making many non-thinking jobs and, and some thinking jobs obsolete. The buzzwords right now are artificial intelligence and machine learning. Machines can be great at compliance when the, the answer is binary. If it's a yes or no answer, machines can fly through it. However, sometimes this goes too far. It, it, organizations end up, they over-process by doing things like, you must get three quotes. That, 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 did you get three quotes? Yes, no. Check. The computer, can, yeah, the computer can check that. I think eventually the computers can go to Amazon on their own and get three quotes for you. But what if the process is nonlinear? In other words, if you cut and paste a process that doesn't or shouldn't apply each time, like in the Dilbert cartoon, when the guy says, there's only two companies that make this, but you can have three quotes. And Dilbert's frustration is, I need you to insert some common sense here. I just told you there's only two guys that make this. Right. There's got to be a, a different set of rules. From the government perspective, during the market research zone, you may find that a multiple award task order contract was the best way, but it's not the best way forward this time. Maybe now that this item is more commercialized five years later, now it's a FAR 13.5, which is a different set of rules and a different process than a, a MATOC contract. And we did an episode about FAR 13.5 a couple of years ago. Contracts are rarely exactly the same. Even if you're buying the exact same base operation services for a base that's been there for 100 years, the contract is almost guaranteed to be not exactly the same. If it is exactly the same, you end up paying for people to clean the stables when there's no more horses. <laughs> yeah. It's the stables. Why is there a stables clean in this contract? Because we copied and pasted it from the 1900s. That's why stereotypes can be harmful. The stereotype is it's just a cut and paste job. If you're just cutting and pasting, a machine can do your job, which means you won't have a job for very long. This is not unique to the government. I mean, this is a large organization fact. And for the government folks... I, when I was an accounting officer, I didn't think of this. But the reason that large organizations had the same level of risk aversion is that for them, they're trying to avoid risk and potential fraud within their employees. Trying, they need to make sure that the processes are clean. And if they have a government contract, their agreement with the government says that your purchasing processes will be clean. Because on the government side, you're protecting the taxpayer and the government's interest. In the case of large organizations who don't even do work with the, with the federal government, they still have these procurement processes because their goal is the same protect somebody, but in that case, it's the shareholders. So this, this isn't unique to government. This, this stereotype about procurement people is everywhere, which is why it ended up in Dilbert. And Dilbert does a great job of pointing out how that stereotype lives on, 
even though it can be harmful. If you have that stereotype in your head, just the thought of going to your contracting officer or, or having to go to the purchasing manager may make people avoid that interaction or, or delay it. And if you avoid or delay it, you can impact the whole acquisition process, the whole program. You can actually impact the mission just by being afraid of the pain of dealing with procurement people. And that's the value of being proactive. Because the longer you wait to interact with the procurement folks, the more likely they are to be in defensive mode because they don't know what you just, they don't know all the market research you did. They don't know all the decisions that may have already been made. And now their defense is, give me four quotes. Whereas if you come to them on September 27th, for example, or if you come to them after the CEO has already decided that we have to use this vendor, now they're not in the decision and you're throwing something on them. So the sooner you get them involved in the communication, the more smoothly the process will go. Yeah. Like a lot of things in government contracting, being proactive is a more effective way to live. Yeah. Issues don't get better with time. They don't age well. If the purchasing folks aren't brought into the process early enough, you have a lot of trouble getting all the pricing done to submit a proposal on time. And so if you're afraid of the purchasing folks wanting all their quotes, you may put the whole proposal at risk. Let's get specific on the government side. Why is this important for the government to care about this stereotype? Following the rules is a good thing and it's required, but blindly using the rules as an excuse to not do something or not finding a way to get something done. Okay. That's a bad thing. Using them like weaponizing the rules is a bad thing. And keep in mind, industry has to be selective. They can't bid on everything. And there are some agencies and departments within agencies that have a reputation of using the rules as a defense mechanism that they're weaponizing them to avoid having to make the real decisions. In other words, avoiding the thinking part. They're trying to make this so binary that they don't actually have to do the thinking part. That sounds harsh, but the result of that is that the best companies avoid those particular customers. They are selective. They have to be selective. And this is not something that I ever even contemplated as a contracting officer. I I always got competition. Somebody always bid on the stuff that we put out. It never occurred to me that I may be getting like the worst performers available because the companies who are really good at this, the ones who are out changing the world and whom can serve my customer exceptionally well, they're not interested in dealing with us. That's a harsh thing to consider, but I never considered it as a CEO. And I can tell you it happens all the time. From the industry side, I think sometimes industry looks at the government acquisition folks and says they're, they're hiding behind the rules, behind the compliance rules. Acquisitions get so bogged down because there's so many rules and things to follow because the government, for good reasons, is afraid to say, here's what we're doing and why. They don't want to have to argue with contractors or fight protests. So they set up a rule book where they could say, nope, here's the rule. This is why you can't do this rather than making the hard decisions. And that's something that, that we as the acquisition people of the world have created, right? The, the industry has gone this way because we've allowed protests. We've allowed things to get to the point that you feel like you have to set up a wall of regulations in order to protect yourself. I sort of flip to the industry side. Let's focus on why does industry care about this negative stereotype? Like I just said from the, from the government side, industry should care because under the rule of abundance, you got to target customers whom you understand. You have to understand their requirement and their processes. You have to focus somewhere on those opportunities that give you the best chance of winning. 
inside big companies, subcontractors and procurement folks are burdened with the same or maybe even greater regulations and policies as government contracting officers are. When I was talking before about the specter of the approved purchasing system, that purchasing system approval drives fear of losing your approval from the government. So in order to maintain that, lots of auditing goes on. And fear of that compliance audit, whether it's the company's internal auditors or the government auditors that are actually doing the approving, that fear can lead to the, the appearance of, of the revenge behavior, right? If the rule book says, must have three quotes for everything, the buyers default, three quotes for everything. They don't get to, I only got two quotes on this one because there's only two companies in the world. Here's my rationale for not doing exactly what it says. Let's move on. I think the government would be okay with that. But that's not the mindset that we drive into our procurement folks in many cases. My advice is don't be afraid. Follow the rules, but document your, your thinking when you do something that isn't explicit in the rules. If the rules, if the policies and procedures give you the latitude to make a decision, just document your decision, why you did it. Audit might not agree with your rationale for making that decision, but they'll give you credit for intentional behavior over negligence, just, just not following the rules even though you know them, or willful noncompliance with the rules. Willful noncompliance is a fancy way of saying, I'm actively going to ignore these rules. <laughs> right. That's, that's not what most people do. I don't like three quotes. I think I'll just get two quotes from now on. That'll do. That's right. <laughs> All right, Kevin, let's wrap this one up for today. Frustration is a result of misaligned expectations. That is a classic Stephen Covey quote from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it really applies here because the answer to the stereotype here is that communication is the best way to minimize that frustration. That frustration that people feel of they're out to get me. This is some kind of revenge process. If we communicate what the process is supposed to be, we minimize the impact of that frustration. On the government side, share your reasoning. Avoid that frustration or minimize the frustration by sharing the reasoning on why you have a process. If you make something binary, say you ha I have to have three quotes, it better be clear as to why or it sounds like you're just doing it to be mean. Tell offers why. The, the basis of that stereotype of you know, the give me three quotes and I'll just pick the low one that's not a thinking process that, that, that implies that this is, I want to make this as easy as possible. I'm looking for the path of least resistance. A machine can do that. And, and, and if you're using that process exclusively, I'll put it out there. Shame on you. You're not doing the thinking part of the job on the industry side. Consider that the thinking points of an acquisition process, we talk about those in that RFP score that, that our Skyway customers use. What are the thinking points? Cause some points are binary. Do you have the security clearance required? Yes. No. That's a binary thing. Are you a small business? Yes, no. That's a binary thing. Do you have this past performance? Yes, no. That's a binary thing. There are other parts that are fluid. How much past performance do you have? How well have you done this in the past? How many people do you think this is going to take? Not everything is binary, but understand which ones are and which ones are negotiable. Make sure you know the difference. And by the way, a lot of times the answers are in the FAR. In fact, a lot of them are in those 22, <laughs> those 22 items that are in FAR 7.105. Some of those are binary. And so if you're, if you're pounding on the procurement people about things that it's not their choice whether or not they're binary, as opposed to them giving you trouble about things that you know aren't binary, knowing how those things work and which ones are binary, which starts with communication, is going to make this 
this overall process much cleaner. All right, I'm going to bring this full circle back to the Dilbert comic and the stereotype that we're talking about. Stereotypes exist for a reason. If you share your intentions, if you share what you're thinking, if you provide the context behind your actions, behind your behaviors, you have a better chance of avoiding the stereotype and achieving the result that that you're going for. I don't know how in the Dilbert comic that that purchasing manager could have shared his intentions behind, now you need four quotes, because that does sound like revenge behavior. But that's just a comic. And the procurement manager in the Dilbert quote obviously wasn't concerned about the results of the mission. <laughs> so, no, th- therein lies the problem. There, there is the misaligned expectation right out of the gate. Beautiful. I'll talk to you later, Kevin. All right. See you, Paul. Okay. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the Contracting Officer Podcast Group on LinkedIn and right here next week.